Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Lord, we love you, and we would today come to your word as we serve you. We must, Lord, be constantly coming back and drinking deeply of the spirit and feeding on the word of God. You are the one who heals us and strengthens us so that we can go back into the world full of life. And Lord, we come to you and we ask for your voice. I ask, Lord, you grace me to to get out of the way, as it were, and let the word of God and let our Lord Jesus speak. Come, Holy Spirit, and do your work in your, your my, Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right, we're in John chapter 6, and I'm going to skip forward. Uh, I'm pat, I'm going to, I'll sort of narrate a little bit. We were on the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee, the lake. Uh, the lake's, I think it's, a, is it 18 miles long and 6 miles wide? Something like that. And uh, we're over in the northeast corner by south of Bethsaida. And Jesus has just fed a crowd of probably 10 to 15,000 people, including the women and the children, with five little barley loaves and two little pickled fish. You remember this? Probably tilapia. That's what, grow, that's, that's what grows in the, in the lake, is tilapia. It's native. And so you've got, you've, got, you've got this little bit of food, and he's just multiplied it, and everyone watched him. Remember that? And, and then kind of a strange turn took place. They began to mutter among themselves and say, surely this is the second Moses. This is the prophet who was to come. Look at the power in him. Let's take him by force and make him our king. So this almost a mob action began to develop. and, and, And Jesus spots this. First thing he did was take his disciples. And I think maybe they were part of the problem going, that's not such a bad idea. They're going, get in the boat. In the boat and row. So he got all, all of them moving westward across the lake. It's, it's evening, late evening, uh, starting to darken now. And the wind is beginning to blow. There's going to be a, a, a gale force winds tonight. Coming from the west, uh, right across that, that, that top portion of, uh, of the Sea of Galilee. When we were in Israel last time, we weren't there the day the, this, this happened, but there was 80 mile an hour winds across the lake uh, one of the days while we were there. Uh, we got there while it was, um, and by the way, it was uh, what was called a contrary wind. It was the wind from the east, which brings the hot, uh, dusty air. I got up one morning, we were staying in the kibbutz uh, yeah, at the south end of the Sea of Galilee, and we get in the bus and we're headed north, you know, and I'm watching this wind and the trees are just bending and, you know, coming from the east. And I, I said, contrary wind. <laughs> you know, this is the one, we were, remember when Jesus was trying to get over to the east, uh, east side of the lake and the wind buffeted? That's in a, uh, was a, this is the wind. And I'm watching this, this contrary wind. These winds come. This one is from the west. So he gets him into the boat and then he somehow eludes the crowd enough to go up on a hill. I was double-checking this on Google Earth. You should do that. Go look at Sea of Galilee. You can see where we're talking about. Look at Kersey. You know, a place called Kersey. Just check, find that. There is a hill 
I mean, the, the, uh, the, the Golan Heights, as it were, comes right up near the water right there. And then you've got this beautiful valley, and, and uh, it uh, goes back a ways where this crowd, I think, was gathered. But Jesus got, I think, up on that hill, and right there you can see over the lake. He spent the night there. It is around Passover, and that means there's a full moon. All right, so we're, we can see the lake. It's spread out below him, and he watches his disciples struggling you know, as they're rowing, trying to get this boat into this, this, these gale force winds that are coming at them now. And they've got to go about five miles from where they are to Capernaum. They're going in a bit of a northwest direction, and the wind's probably coming pretty directly from the west. And they're, they're, they're plowing away, and he watches this. And he lets them do that till three o'clock in the morning. Three o'clock in the morning, they're rowing away in the darkness. You can imagine they're just soaked to, their, to the skin in the, in, the, in, the, in the waves. And suddenly they look over the back of the boat, and there's a, a human form walking toward them. Well, they've got superstitions of, of night ghosts and everything else, you know. So they, you, you know. <laughs> and, and this form gets closer and closer and starts to pass them. It says they trembled and started to scream. I love that, don't you? Like little girls, you know? I, forgive me, like little boys. Little, little, little boy screams are ugly. Yeah. <laughs> and then mercifully, uh, Jesus, you know, they're looking, peering at this form that's walking by them, and he says, uh, be encouraged, it's me. Don't be afraid. It's, oh, don't ever do that again. <laughs> and Peter, I, 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 I'll tell you all of this in, in much better detail another, another week. Peter looks over the thing and he says, Lord, if it's you, call me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. And you'll recall, Peter, I won't tell the whole story because I'm going to tell it again. Uh, Peter, Peter heads out and ends up sinking. Uh, uh, not totally, and the Lord grabs his hand, lifts him up, and they get back in the boat. And then, and then John says, uh, the, 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 or was it Mark, they, are, they suddenly were at the shore. And they didn't arrive at Capernaum. They arrived two miles south in what's called the Valley of uh, Gennesaret. Uh, when we go there, uh, it's the Jesus boat. For those of you who have been to Israel, it's right there at that, that shore, right around the Jesus boat is where they would have landed. And you recall there's the citrus and all of that in the valley there. So that's where they ended up. Well, word quickly goes out. People are running all over once they spot him, uh, bringing the sick to them. And then the crowd, uh, who's been on the east side, if they've been sailing in the little boats they could find, and they've been walking around the north end, they catch up to him, and they say to him, how did you get here? In other words, we were watching for you. We had spies at the beach, watching all the roads. How did you get here? And that, then the discussion that I'm going to read you. In John chapter 6, I'm going to start at verse 26. I, I'm going to read you some of this, and I'm reading a, a, a large portion. That, and I'm going to give you the understanding of it when, uh, as we're done. But this is the dialogue that took place, largely in the synagogue in Capernaum. Jesus answered them. They said, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs. Remember what those are? Miracles that point to who he is. But because you ate of the loaves and were filled. 
Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, and notice he uses that term, Son of Man. We saw that in the book of Daniel. He's the one who approaches the Ancient of Days there in heaven, remember? The Son of Man will give to you, for on him this Father God has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. So they said to him, What then do you do for a sign? Now, what they're trying to do is bait him into doing another bread miracle. They, they, want, they want breakfast. And uh, so they say, Moses gave us manna. What are you going to do? You know, this, it's just, just sort of embarrassing. Verse 32, Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it's not Moses who's given you the bread out of heaven, but it's my father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Do you see what he's doing? He's, he's, he's comparing himself to manna. As God gave the manna from heaven, God has given now another kind of bread from heaven to feed a deeper hunger in the human heart. All right? They said, give us this bread. And, and, and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. And then he, then he begins to make an allusion to the fact that only certain people seem to come to him. And he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have not come from heaven to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And then these next two verses are what I put on my mother's grave, in case you think I think they're a good, good verse. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him. Behold means to understand, see him, and know who he is. And believes in him means to choose, to put your faith in him, his, his death and his resurrection. Will have eternal life, and I myself, says Jesus, will raise him up or her up on the last day. I am the bread that came down from heaven. He then makes, uh, I'm going to skip forward a bit, go to uh, verse 51. He has this conversation, and he's talking about himself as manna from heaven, this bread. And he says this, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. All right, now this begins to sound Strange. It did to them. <laughs> it's like, huh? What? You mean, what do you mean, your, your flesh? And, and, and you need to know that uh, we find that the Jewish leaders, some of the Pharisees, had actually come up from Jerusalem. He had not gone down to Passover this, this year. He skipped going to Jerusalem because of the danger. And he stayed up in the Galilee. So they sent people up to the Galilee to hunt him down and to confront him. So he says this, I'm giving you my flesh. And those leaders began to go, what? You know, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus makes it real better. Now, <laughs> notice our Lord, would you? 
he, he does not play into your game. <laughs> you know, you, should, you would have thought he'd go right about now going, ho, 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 no, I don't mean that. Oh, no. Listen to what he says. Truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. <laughs> Talk about making it absolutely much worse. <laughs> he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. My flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. Oh, stop. You know, he's, he's, he's in the synagogue. And now you remember how how, how popular, I mean, popular isn't the word for it. Uh, he is being just pursued by crowds. So this thing is packed. The, the synagogue, and by the way, it's, that synagogue is there today. Uh, there's actually a building that's a little more modern than the one he was sitting in, but the foundation stones are exactly in place. So the synagogue, it's a big one, and the school right next to it, it's all right there. He's in that synagogue, and the, you can just imagine it's packed to every inch of the place and they're having this dialogue, and this is what he's saying with all these people listening. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. John says these things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Well, what was the response? Well, what would you think? It says, this, many heard this, said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? Uh, Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, uh, said to them, does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? What, if you see, when, what, what will you say when you see me ascend into heaven? It is the Spirit who gives life, then the flesh profits nothing. The words which I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And then there, are, there were people who did not understand. In verse 66, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. And Jesus said to the twelve, you don't want to go away also, do you? I mean, you can virtually picture it. It's like everybody's leaving. They just, this was just too much for them. And Simon Peter, bless his heart, answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. We don't have a clue what you just meant, but we trust you. <laughs> the biblical feast, notice I underlined biblical. Uh, th there's a traditional feast that's emerged over, over the last couple, a few thousand years. This is the Passover is the oldest religious, continuously observed religious ceremony uh, on, the earth, on the planet. Yeah. And so you, when I say biblical, I'm going back to Exodus 12. The, the biblical feast of Passover is based on the death of a lamb. It remembers the night in which God delivered Israel from bondage in Egypt. It's a deeply spiritual ceremony, and every part is full of prophetic meaning. But the two most essential elements are the blood and the flesh of the lamb. The lamb's blood was smeared or, or splashed on the doorposts and lintel, which is the top crossbeam of a door. And the lamb's body was roasted whole and eaten. 
You remember this? This is the night in Egypt when, when uh, um, the Lord's going to take them out. This is the last plague. Uh, and he says to everyone, the angel of death will pass over the, the, the land and he will strike the firstborn son of every family, beginning from your herds and your flocks all the way up to Pharaoh himself. What do you do? You take, you take, you, you've had a, a lamb that you've penned up for about four days uh, near the house so that you got familiar with it. And, and it, you picked one without any spot or blemish. And then on that night, you cut its throat and you drained the blood and you took a branch of hyssop. Again, when we go to Israel, you, we, we go to a place and that's the stuff we grind up in that garden. Remember that beautiful, sweet smelling? Uh, it's like a sage plant. It's, it's, a, it's a rough bush, but the, the, the smell is just gorgeous. I always bring some home. Uh, and you take a branch of this and you dipped it in the blood. And then you'd go to the front door of your house and you splash it on either doorpost and then you'd splash it on the top. You'll notice you've made a cross. <laughs> so you've splashed it, splashed it, splashed it. So there's this blood that marks your door. And then everyone is to go inside the house that night. Nobody's to be outside. The angel of death is moving through the land. You go in and you, you dress up. You're, you're in full clothing with your, your staff. Your sandals are on. You're ready to march. So you, you stand there fully ready to go, and you actually eat your, this, this lamb standing up. Because any moment now, you're going to be free. You see? So they stand there, and, and you're to have enough people in each house to eat the entire lamb. This is not dinner. This is holy. This lamb is a special lamb. This is a holy, sacred thing. So you, everything is to be eaten of the, of the flesh. Anything left over, you do not break the bones. Does that sound familiar? You do not break the bones. You, you eat the entire thing. Anything left over is then burned completely, for it is a holy offering unto the Lord. It's not dinner. It's not dinner. It's a holy offering. It's to be done a certain way. And then you recall, uh, that night the angel of the Lord swept through Egypt, struck down the firstborn, including Pharaoh. And Pharaoh calls Moses in and says, get out of here. Take your flocks, your herds, and we don't ever want to see you again. Remember that? All right, that's Passover. Here we go. Back to this. As, the centuries, as centuries passed, the meal came to include a cup of red wine that above all other meanings was meant to remember the lamb's blood. It had protected the house, each household from the angel of death who swept through Egypt that night. And when the angel saw the blood, he passed over that house. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, he went into the synagogue either just before Passover or possibly during the week of unleavened bread that follows it. Only days before, he had fed 10 to 15,000 people with five barley loaves and two fish. And that miracle on top of the healings he was performing was stirring excitement in the entire region. So many had watched him break the bread and fish and had eaten the food themselves that he was being pursued by crowds everywhere he went. They were convinced that he was the promised prophet with the powers as great as Moses. Those barley loaves had fed them like manna had fed their ancestors in the wilderness and they wanted him to become their king. When the people who had eaten the loaves and fish finally caught up with him in Capernaum, they tried to persuade him to give them more bread, but he refused. He told them they were asking for the wrong kind of bread. And they were seeking to satisfy the wrong kind of hunger. 
Using the picture of manna, which had appeared on the ground each morning during the years of the Exodus, Jesus told them that God had sent the manna from heaven to be more than a practical provision for their physical needs. It was also meant to be a prophetic symbol. By sending that miraculous bread, God was telling Israel that someday he would send another kind of bread from heaven, one which would satisfy a much deeper kind of hunger. He would send his son to satisfy the longing in every human heart to escape death and find eternal life. Jesus said this while sitting in the synagogue in Capernaum, and the place must have been packed. But mixed in among the congregation were Pharisees from Jerusalem who had come to Galilee to confront him. That year he had not gone down to Jerusalem for Passover, so it appears they had come looking for him. In the midst of his teaching, Jesus used an illustration drawn from the Passover to describe why he came to earth. It shocked everyone who heard it. He began with the image of the manna and then suddenly switched to the image of the Passover lamb. And he compared himself to that lamb. He said, just as Israel had been required to eat the flesh of the Passover lamb and place its blood on their doors, he too would die. He would give his body and pour out his blood so that eternal death might pass over those who believe in him. He wanted everyone in the synagogue to recognize that the Passover ceremony spoke of him. Eating the lamb was a way of partaking by faith in the protection the lamb provided. And drinking the cup of red wine was a way of partaking by faith in the protective power of the blood on the doorway. Here's what he said. Would you read this with me? I am the living bread that comes down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I also I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The religious leaders took him literally and asked, how could this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, would you read this with me? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. To invite that congregation to believe in him, Jesus rolled two great Old Testament images into one. Like manna, he said he had been sent from heaven to feed them. And like the Passover lamb, it would be necessary for him to die violently to rescue them. His body would be crucified and his blood poured out so that they could escape from death. A year later, during a Passover meal in an upper room in Jerusalem the following year, Jesus made this same comparison between himself and the Passover lamb. Only this time, there could be no confusion over what he meant. He held up a portion of the unleavened bread, which is used in the meal, and said, would you read this with me? This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Later in the meal, he held up the cup of wine, which is called the cup of redemption, and said, would you read this with me? This cup, which is poured out for you, 
is the new covenant in my blood. By eating the bread and drinking from the cup which he passed to them, these disciples were saying to him, I believe in you. You will give your body in death. Your life's blood will be poured out for me. By eating and drinking, I receive by faith what you will do for me on the cross. Like manna, you came from heaven to give us life. And like the Passover lamb, you will die to deliver us from death. You see this? You'll notice when we take communion, we don't simply look at the bread and cup. We actually eat the bread. We are, we are receiving it into our very being. Do you see how intimate it is? How personal it is? It's not enough to look at it. In a sense, we by faith receive it into our very heart, into our very being. You, your body was broken for me. Your blood, when, and when it speaks of blood, it's talking about his life. His life was poured out for us. It violently shed for us. You died for me. I receive that. I take that into my very heart and my very being. With all, I trust you. Back in Capernaum. No one that day in Capernaum understood what he meant. Not even his own disciples. But to their credit, they remained loyal and didn't abandon him. The crowd had taken his words literally, and they thought he was talking about some form of cannibalism, didn't they? And that's what they're thinking, oh, this is gross. <laughs> of course he wasn't. He was using manna and the Passover as parables to illustrate spiritual truths. And he tried to tell them that, but they wouldn't listen. He said, does this cause you to stumble? It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. In other words, surely you don't think, I'm speaking to you literally, <laughs> seriously, you don't think I mean that literally. I'm trying to explain to you spiritual principles. There's no physical substance you could eat that would save you, is there? There's no bread, there's no, <laughs> there was no flesh, there's no nothing you could eat that would save you. All salvation is found in the spiritual realm. I'm trying to tell you that I'm going to die for you and that you must believe that fact and receive it personally to be saved. This keeps being the issue. The disciples did not want to accept that he was going to die. When he's presenting himself to Israel and saying, I must die. The, and, and I'm the Messiah. I'm the son of man. All these things. And they know these images. But I have to die. That's the violation point. That's the point that goes, boom. What do you mean you have to die? Why do you have to die? And he says, I'm dying for you. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the Passover lamb. I'm, 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 your, I'm, the, I'm the serpent on the, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the post there in, in the wilderness. I'm, I'm taking on your sin. Here's the issue. The human heart really does not appreciate the depth of our own sin. We keep thinking God could just blow it off if he wants to. It's like, whatever, so what? You know, yeah, it's okay. If you, if you read the book of Romans, Paul spends a good deal of time explaining God can't just forget our sins. 
they have to be paid for. We, we, don't, we don't realize the depth of our own personal sins. We don't realize the violation against God that the human race has done. And it's not okay. God can't just go, oh, forget it all. That's probably... It must be paid for. And so Paul calls it, says it this. He says, he is, our God is, the, is just and the justifier. He will justly atone for the sin of the world. Some, and the only way of atoning for sin is death. And how, who could? Who could possibly die for the sins of the entire human race? Who could die for the huge violation against the holiness and the loveliness of God? The, the, the things that have been done. You, don't even, you and I don't even want to know. We don't want to know a, a moment of what's going on around the planet. And God's watching it all the time. Who could pay that price? No one. So God sent his own son who became one of us, really one of us. And then he placed upon him the guilt of us all. And he had to die. Jesus keeps trying to tell them, I can't come as your king. I can't rescue you. I can't set up the, ki the kingdom of God and make everything right until this has been dealt with. The sin cries out. The sin in you is ruining everything. It has to come first. When I, when I talk with people, I, sometimes people will come and talk to me about, about family issues or, or whatever, and I'll often say this, and this is really important. The healing of your family or the healing of whatever the situation is in your life doesn't start on the periphery. It doesn't start out there where you kind of get your act together and, and learn to have good skills. It starts in your heart. It starts when you get right with God. Then the health of your spirit spreads out into the rest of your, of, of your, of your relationships, your finances, everything else. When you, but it, it, it's totally bogus to try to heal a family by, by just teaching them better skills while the, while the rebellious, angry, lustful, fearful, vengeful heart stays in their, in their chest. Do you hear me? The heart's got to go. And when the heart goes, and when it's healed, when you, you, so everything in God starts at the center. It starts with a sin issue. It brings us back to God, heals our heart, takes out the stony heart, puts in a heart of flesh, and now the health just emerges outward through the rest of things. You follow that? They didn't get it. Israel didn't get it. The human race doesn't get it for the most part. This becomes the great offense. Why should you have to die? Let's go back to this. The real problem. Then Jesus put his finger on the real problem. He told them why they didn't understand. He said, people who do not consider themselves to be sinners, those who believe they have done nothing wrong, feel no need for God to do something so drastic to re rescue them by sending his son to die, simply makes no sense to them. God sending it. Why would he do that? But those who are aware of their sin and know they are in serious trouble are desperately hoping that somehow God will make a way to give them mercy. He described this group of people as those being drawn to him by the Father. Listen, do not grumble among yourselves. 
No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now, I'm going to stop there for a second. That statement is often taken as a predestinational thing. God's picking certain people. You, you, you. Come on. You, nope. That idea of God draws some, God doesn't draw others. That's not what the issue is. Who is it? Because he actually explains this. Who is it? Who the father draws. The father draws. When, when a person has been, the father is drawing actually all. Those, those who the father draws are being convicted of sin. Remember John 3. Jesus explaining these deep things. It's just fabulous there. And he says, he says this is the condemnation. That men loved darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. Neither cometh to the light. Lest their deeds should be exposed, reproved, corrected. People don't come toward God and, or Jesus, his truth. Because they don't want him telling them to change, to stop, to repent. And so they dull their ears. They cover their eyes. And they thicken their hearts. We do that to ourselves. Those that are being drawn by the Father are those when he convicts us of sin and points out what we're doing. Respond to him. We acknowledge it. You're right, Lord. We, I am. I'm, I'm weak. I'm struggling. And, and we come to him in, in repentance and humility. Those people who can hear the voice, this is really important, those who can hear the voice of God convicting them of sin can also hear the voice of God promising them a Savior. Do you hear this? So that when the Savior comes and says, I've come to do this for you, I've come to substitute for you, I've come to take your place, you who have all this sin just riddling your lives, I'm going to bear it for you and free you. It makes sense to us. Because we're so deeply aware of what's held us. We know the depth of our bondage. We know our addictions. We know our anger. We know our fears. We got it. And you'll set me free. Oh, bless your heart. You see, that heart sees the sun. That heart comes. And he says, those dawned by the... Oh, I'll finish my statement. The father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father does what? Comes to me. Many times during Israel's history, God had sent prophets to warn the nation to repent. And lately, John the Baptist had been the Father's voice calling people to prepare themselves to face the Messiah. Those who knew they were sinners and listened to that voice had repented and been baptized, calling on God for mercy. They longed for the assurance that their sins were forgiven. They were watching for a savior. So when they met Jesus and understood who he was and why he had come, they also understood why he would have to die. It was for them receiving the father's gift. Those who are hungry know they need bread. Those who are sick know they need a doctor. Those who are sinners know they need a savior. Those who are willing to listen to the voice that convicts them of sin are able to hear the voice that assures them that God has made a way to rescue them. Those who listen to the Father gladly listen to His Son. 
Because the same voice that has been showing them their need is now showing them their answer. The question today is, do you and I hear that voice? Let's hear it once more. It's offering us bread from heaven. Now with those ears, I'm going to read this to you once more, one more time. Listen to this. In fact, why don't you read with me? Go back to that statement of the truly, truly. See it in your notes? Let's read it together. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.